0: Hi, this is Chris Perry, teaching pastor of Christ Church of Central Arkansas. Man, it's a privilege that you dialed into our podcast, and today is Sunday, and we're focusing in on a teaching right out of the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 20. So if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 20, we're going to be focusing on verses 1 to 16. And it's about Jesus' story about the laborers in the vineyard. Uh, To me, absolutely fascinating because it addresses this whole concept of what does it mean to work in God's vineyard? What are the dynamics that are involved in that? Uh, Does God have rights and authority over us as his employees? These kinds of things. And uh, particularly... The teaching from Matthew 21 to 16 gets at this whole issue of righteousness versus fairness. And it's really a tough issue, especially in our culture today, and especially in view of what's going on with COVID-19, which has just kind of turned us upside down here in our world. Um, So I want to begin by asking God's favor, and then I want to talk to you specifically about how to interpret Matthew 20. It's going to be good. Abba Father, I love you and I thank you. Thank you so much for the people of Christ Church who are faithful to support the work of your kingdom through Christ Church and through Grace Counseling Clinic. Um, Abba Father, I was begging your blessing and your favor to be on this podcast, and people will listen and uh, know you through your word, know you through grace, through your love, and through the amazing. Holy Spirit that works within us. So, uh, Abba, Father, bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's begin with this. Uh, When you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the questions we ask is what kind of writing are these four documents? Are they, uh, you know, history? Are they just novels? Are they uh, a mixture of myth and legend and folklore and all that? What's really going on with these things? And when you compare the writing style of Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, you look at the birth narratives, you look at the death story at the end and the exchanges back and forth uh, in in Jesus, the central figure, and his interaction with people— you begin to notice that this, they read a lot like a Greco-Roman biography. Uh, Richard Burridge, his work on one of the Gospels is absolutely uh, a seminal work in understanding the function of Greco-Roman biography as the basis by which these Gospels were written, uh, kind of a template. We're going to write it like a biography uh, in the Greco-Roman tradition. Now, here's why that's important. The Greeks believed, the Romans believed that when you have a person of great honor and dignity, you should promote him because by promoting this central figure, he's an ideal citizen of the state, then people will learn to follow him. It will strengthen your, your state, it'll strengthen the nation, and it'll make the people a better people because they're following the honorable example. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all are absolutely in step with Greco-Roman biography. The central figure, Jesus, represents the ideal citizen in an ideal state with an ideal government, and that if you get him, you understand him, you'll follow his example. You'll follow his teachings, what he says, his behaviors, what he does, so that you start to sound like him and you start to live like him which would make you, therefore, an ideal citizen of an ideal state with an ideal government. All right. So what's unique about Greco-Roman biography? Well, the central figure is being pushed for political reasons, moral reasons, ethical reasons, educational reasons. But in addition to that, the, the, the Gospels show exchanges between Jesus and common people. Jesus and his opponents, and even Jesus interacting with people that would be considered insignificant, like women and children. And uh, the the Greco-Roman world believed that, certainly historians believed, that the little statements a man would give to an annoying child or an exchange with an opponent can reveal a lot more about his character than, than if he goes out and brags about some military campaign or something. Anybody can brag about great campaigns done in fields afar, but what about what about when your local village you're in the marketplace and there's an exchange between you and one of your 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 opponents? How you answer them can really reveal more about your character um also you know the the Romans believe certainly a, a man's birth is significant, and in greco-Roman tradition, there are stories of people being born you know with a divine origin, etc., But oftentimes, it wasn't the birth that was important. It was the death. They believed passionately that how a man died and what he said during the death process process revealed more about a man's character than than anything. And that's why we have such detailed uh, description of the death of Jesus. And so the Gospels are kind of like death stories with a long introduction. Okay. The Gospels are Greco-Roman biography. They're very persuasive documents intended to take the hearers and the readers and move them to make a decision. Either you're going to join Jesus, an ideal citizen from an ideal state with an ideal government, and you're going to follow him in all his honorable ways, or you're not. You're an opponent. And so the Gospels force everyone to make a decision. I agree with Jesus. I disagree. I like him. I don't like him. I love him. I hate him. I will be loyal to him, or I will dismiss him as a as a public nuisance or even a, a political dissident. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write, with a view of turning the world upside down, with the good news of the love of God as revealed in Jesus, represents God's kingdom, God's government, and God's ethics, and God's morality, and God's way of doing life with people. Okay, let's turn to Matthew chapter 20, and let's look at what's going on in this text. Now, in Matthew 20, what is unique is this parable, this story, isn't about Jesus and his opponents, and how they are calling him a liar, or accusing him of you know all kinds of uh, of dishonorable things like the the demons you're casting out you're doing it really by the power of Satan, you know those kinds of things these honor shame challenges and reposts back and forth with Jesus and the Pharisees. Now this one is really about uh about the insiders. This is about the disciples and how disciples get along with disciples and how Existing Christians, you know, Christians that have been doing this thing following Jesus for a while, how they're going to treat newcomers into the kingdom. And let me read the text, and I'll make some comment uh, on the scriptures that I hope will be valuable to you uh, in your walk of faith with Jesus today. Matthew twenty one to sixteen, reading from the ESV translation. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. Notice the assumed ethic. Whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, that's 5 p.m., by the way. The eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When evening came, this is 6 p.m., the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last workers only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. By the way, uh, verse 15, you can translate that from Aramaic Hebrew. Um, Why is your eye evil? Because I am good. The ESV translates it, why do you begrudge my generosity? But a more literal rendering is, why is your eye full of evil towards me when my heart is good? Wow. So what's going on with this parable? Let's kind of walk through it together. The way I read the parable, the master or the owner of the vineyard is God. God. And the vineyard, that is people. That's the word, world, God's creation. And laborers are Christians. They are followers of the ways of Jesus. They're supposed to be, certainly. God wants us to go out and work in his vineyard, his kingdom. And as new people come into God's kingdom, they're, they're born again. He wants them right in there to work. Even, even those who are coming in in the last hour, even those... People whom whom we might think are uh, uh, kind of, you know, maybe not the best choice for a follower of God. People that we think maybe are broken to the point that it's a surprise to us all that God would even use them. But they get in. and the 11th hour, they're hired, and they become laborers in the master's vineyard. This is really about grace, isn't it? It sure is. Now evening comes, it's 6 p.m. The owner said to the uh, foreman who's been working the vineyard, leading the vineyard, he says, I want you to call the laborers, pay them their wages, but be sure to pay the last first and the first last. And oh, the shock of it, the people that worked only one hour received a full day's wage, And yet those who began at 6 a.m. put in 12 hours, long hours, bearing the burden of the work in the scorching heat of the day, they were paid as agreed. But because they had a heart set uh, on, on this idea of fairness, they accused the owner of the vineyard of wrongdoing. It is not fair to pay them a day's wage An hour's work. If you give them a day's wage, you should give us more. Let's talk about fairness. A mindset of fairness is really a kind of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, all things must be equal mindset that is very deceptive and very toxic. A mindset that is set on what is right is based on God's kingdom ethics of grace. Mercy and truth. God wants our hearts to be set on grace and truth and not on a concept of fairness and the eye for an eye. For example, the men who were hired first, when they found out the guys that were hired at 5 p.m. got a day's wage, if they had the heart of Jesus, they would have clapped their hands. They would have raised their hands in worship and they would say, behold, the great generosity and mercy of this amazing master owner of the vineyard. He is worthy of praise because he is a man of mercy. But instead, they've got fairness on the brains and they automatically assume that the owner of the vineyard is bad. He is not doing good because he's not being fair. How many Christians do you know believe that God is not good, God is not fair, when things don't go well in their lives? They get married, they find themselves in a bad marriage, or they find themselves married to a very disappointing spouse, and they look at other people, and they've got these great marriages, and these couples look so happy, and they go, that's not fair. I can't have a good marriage. You get these people that hire on with the company. And in a matter of days, weeks, months, it becomes obvious that certain people are favored. Certain people are getting the best assignments, the best positions, the promotions, the higher salary. And then there you are and you say that is not fair. That is favoritism and it is wrong. And you get an eye for an eye mindset, tooth for tooth. By the way, Whenever we develop a fairness attitude and mindset, we typically uh, think we have authorization to compare and and, and inspect things around us. We're comparing what I have with what they have, what he has, what she has, she has against what she has. And we're comparing. And once we start comparing with a fairness ethic, we start judging and we become bitter we become really hard to live with. By the way, let's take it just a little bit deeper on this fairness mindset. Fairness, in a way, is really pleasing as long as what's fair is in your favor. Then all of a sudden, when it's not in your favor, you'll protest. We like it when we get something for free. But when we don't, it becomes a bad thing when we are people with a fair mindset, eye for an eye mindset. God appears to be a pretty irresponsible landowner because he is good to people who do bad things, and he lets badness happen to people who are good. And it's a frustrating world. I let me get this out there to you. Life is not fair. God is good. Life is not fair. It's a toxic and infectious thing to demand fairness. It will always come back around and haunt you, always, because I guarantee if God's going to be fair with me, Chris Perry, you know what I'm going to get? I'm going to get hell. That is absolutely what I deserve. And if it's eye for an eye and fairness and all things being equal, I get hell. But because of God's mercy, because of God's love, I'm getting heaven. And if I have a heart, not with a mindset toward fairness, but with a mindset toward God's grace and truth, then I'm going to be the guy celebrating that God shows mercy to people who only worked an hour. And I'm not going to judge them, and I'm not going to judge God and say, you must be a bad person. Owner, or master of the vineyard, because you're not running your company the way I think you should. That is toxic. That is damaging. By the way, my interpretation of this story. Let me let me show you how I kind of arrive at that. When you look at Matthew presents this story, labors in the vineyard. This is how discipleship get along with new disciples. He goes right into a story about saying, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be turned over to the authorities, the scribes, the priests. I'm going to be condemned to death. I'm going to be mocked and flogged, but hold on. I'm going to be raised from the dead. How's that for fairness? Do you think it's fair that Jesus is mocked and scourged and shamed and crucified for for people uh, who who, who are guilty and he didn't commit a sin? You think that's fair? So he tells this story exposing the dangers of a fairness mentality and the brilliance of a mercy mentality. And then he tells this little story about he was going to die for the sins of the people. How's that for mercy? And then right after that, Matthew tells the story of the mother of the sons of Zebedee. I think these two guys are hiding behind mom's skirt, personally, because men fight for men. And this mom is fighting for her boys. And guess what mom's pushing? She's pushing that her boys can get the seat of honor in Jesus' kingdom, the seat of preferment, to be, to be seated in some elite, high-status position, That is a fairness mentality, it's a greed mentality. It's based on pride and Jesus exposes her and he does it gently, but he's able to say, look, this is verse 25, Jesus called them to him and he said, look, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many by the way if you've got a just a, a, a fairness mindset and you're into comparing guess what You're going to be demanding the best seats because after all, it's only fair. And you're going to have a hard time being a servant. You're going to want to be great. You're going to struggle with a servant spirit. And you will not accept the fact that God shows mercy to people that you think don't deserve it. If you want life and you want God's Holy Spirit and the truth of the words of Jesus to breathe life in you, get off the fairness Mindset, get it out and replace it with grace and mercy. Motivated by the truth of God and the heart of God. Get into that and watch how your life changes. You set your course to be a servant as Jesus says. Oh, oh by the way, remember the whole Greco-Roman biography thing? Do you remember that? When read the Gospels, they're persuasive documents intended to help us follow Jesus so that we start saying the kinds of things he would say and doing and acting in the same kinds of ways that he would do, that he would act so that we become like him. And if that's the case, we're going to, we're going to give a day's wage of grace to people who've only worked an hour. We're going to give a day's wage of grace and mercy to people who have worked an out a, a whole day. We're going to love people and accept them and, and show them the love and grace of God. And we're going to act out of mercy. We're going to act out of truth. We never compromise truth. But we're going to be driven by grace. And when we do that, my dear friend, we start acting like the central figure of this amazing Greco-Roman biography called the Gospel of Matthew. And we are living and showing to the world that we know who the ideal citizen is. We know who this ideal citizen is with an ethic of morality that is amazing and sustainable because he belongs to the kingdom of God. And that's something I want to be a part of. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast from Christchurch of Central Arkansas. It's Sunday, March 22. It's an amazing day, and God's grace is all over this place. Hey, check us out on the website, discoverchristchurch.com. Learn more about what God's doing at Christchurch. And also, while you're on the website, check out Grace Counseling Clinic, an amazing ministry that is caring for people and bringing healing to folks all over central Arkansas and even around the U.S. It's amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Hope to see you soon. Bye.